You have a lovely voice. <laughs> You're very, very kind. <laughs> my my uh, favorite saying to the staff is, uh, I don't believe in singing preachers or preaching singers. Stick to what you're called to do. Awesome. <laughs> but, uh, hey, thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. You guys are so nice, so welcoming. <laughs> we... Um, we were talking in the first service, and I'd like to touch on that again in this one. Uh, the thing I really appreciate about your music is both the lyrics and the fact that so many of them are, are encouraging. And one song you did in the first service, The Stand Strong, you know, is, is really aimed at encouraging people who are facing persecution or challenges to their faith. And a lot, of, whether it's Brave or the other songs, all about, you know, God giving us the strength to, to live the life that He's called us to live. But I've also heard you say several times that you struggle with anxiety and fear, and maybe even sometimes coming on stage, uh, uh, you have to fight that battle a little bit. So talk a bit about your struggle with fear and how the music that God's given you makes a difference in your life. Yeah, I think people would laugh if you if you saw me uh, right before going on stage. I'm always doing some sort of weird dance or like push-ups. <laughs> I can only do one push-up though. It's really <laughs> pathetic. Uh, but yeah, I I have to get my nerves out in some way. Um, yeah, I I. I found that um, as much as I would like to be brave, as, I w- as much as I would love to stand strong and fight fear um, in the way that I, I talk mm-hmm. about in my songs, I find that that's, that's not natural to me at all. And I don't know that it's natural to anybody. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like the uh, war we wage on fear is something that's daily, that happens all the time. And um, I've struggled with anxiety from as early as I can remember. And I don't know if I'll ever fully conquer it, but I know for sure that it is something that I will never stop fighting against. What is it that helps you daily overcome it? Yeah, um, consistency and um, and, and promises, I think, is is what it is. Consistency in that um, every morning, be it in a a prayer, be it in reading just a little scripture, be it in reading a poem, be Mm -hmm. it in just having some silence and staring out the window at my, at my little cottage at home, um, just having that moment every morning. Um, and I don't always get it right, but I know that the, the times that I do, be it for 15 minutes or be it for an hour, um, if I have that continuously right. in my life, there's just a, a strength that's kind of built in me, I think, um, through, through just time being in God's presence. And then prom- his promises, yeah. just reminding myself in those moments where I'm like, really anxious, really worried, really afraid, um, reminding myself that it is a command to, to do not be afraid. So li- to listen to what he actually says in Scripture. Yeah. Now, I know you grew up with parents who were Christians, um, but you grew up in California, which is you know a, a different world, so to speak, than, than South Carolina, the Bible Belt here. Uh, and you went to a public school, a secular school, not a lot of Christians in that school. What was that experience like for you as a follower of Christ? Yeah, it was, it was different. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. I don't know if... If you guys have been there before, but it's, um, I feel like it's kind of similar to, to here. The cultures are very, there's a a deep religious root here that I think is really beautiful. Um, uh, but yes, California is very different. There's a lot more traffic I find in in LA. We don't have leave it out there. (laughs) People are a lot nicer. (laughs) Lay on the horn a little less. (laughs) Um, but growing up in the culture that I did and, it was very diverse, and um, I, I found that my kind of upbringing was very rare. Um, mm. uh, my parents are still together, and they raised my siblings and I with, you know, Christian principles. And um, 
with most of the people that I went to high school with, that wasn't really the case. Um, what was it like on campus then? Because I know you had a Bible study of some kind. What was that? Yes, yes. Um, so uh, a girlfriend of mine and I started a, a girls' Bible study on our on our campus, and it was very under the radar. I'm pretty sure we went about it the like non-legal way, <laughs> <laughs> secretly meeting in teachers' classrooms. Um, but by the end of the year, by the end of our our senior year, um, there were it was standing room only. There wow. were tons of girls that would come into into this um, this this girls' Bible study, and we would just get to the heart of a lot of what we were dealing with and everything from relationships to parental issues to um, purity and what does that word even mean and and um, that was really I think the moment where God showed me these are the things that that we need to explore and sing about and talk about. Well, I know you made a, you, you felt God was asking you, it's not something you preach to others to do necessarily, but you felt God was leading you to make a commitment of purity and to, to save your first kiss before your wedding day. Talk a little bit about why you felt God leading you to do that and, and, and what that was like. Was it, was, was it a struggle? Was it hard at times? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, purity is such a, an interesting word um, because I think in today's cultural context, when we say that, we think about like, oh, purity ring or relationships. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. Yeah. It's a frame of mind. It's a it's a position of the heart. And um, when I was around 14, uh, I remember just having this thought of like, I kind I kind of want to save my first kiss for my wedding day. It wasn't yeah. like a spiritual like epiphany. It was just a like thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and and it wasn't that difficult to be honest. Okay. Um, at first, because. Um, I had braces, lots of pimples, <laughs> big afro hair, so it was, that was exactly desirable. Um, but uh, when I met my, my husband, um, yeah. and we met when I was 17, um, and I still looked the same, minus the braces. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we fell in love. And uh, after three years of dating, of course I wanted to kiss this man. I mean, he's so handsome. Um, and he has an Australian accent, which makes him equally attractive. Yeah, t- tell him who your husband people. is. <laughs> um, my husband is, uh, his name is Joel. He's in a band called For King and Country. They played at Winter Jam last night. Yeah. Some of you guys might have even been there. Yeah. Oh, hey, one lady right there. Oh, two ladies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's wonderful, but, uh, it was really nice to be able to find that person that would not only accept the standards that mm-hmm. I had set, but want to create new ones with me. So you feel God honored your commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so definitely. you don't regret making that commitment then. No, that's, I always tell people that there was like, you know, did, did you regret like not, you yeah. know, like, did you regret saving your first kiss? I'm like, you know, there's a lot of things in life that I like, you know, man, I wish I would have tweaked that or changed that. But like. That was one thing I don't yeah. think I'll ever regret. And then I know that uh, that that was a, a question that when you, you tried out for American Idol, yeah. and uh, you know made it to the judges panel, uh, share with us that experience and 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 because they knew a lot about your your story, not just your singing. What did they know? What was their reaction? What was that whole experience like for you? Yeah. So for anyone who's not auditioned for American Idol, um, it's. Uh, it's quite it's quite the process and it's not exactly what you see on tv i was um 16 when i when i auditioned uh, so quite a while ago but um it was like four five months of auditions Mm -hmm. between what you see on tv as like the big arena and then people going to the judges there's like four or five months in between that 
And so there's a lot of interviews, mm -hmm. um, and it gets very personal. They ask you a lot about your background and your beliefs and your relationship past and your dreams for the future. And, and it's, it's very um, talent and personality driven, I think, equally. Um, and so I was very open about my faith, very right. open about this girl's Bible study that I was leading. I was so excited about that. Um, and also shared about wanting to save my first kiss for my wedding day. And it wasn't really like accepted or encouraged, which didn't surprise me. Right. Did not surprise me. But um, did some of what they said surprise you? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, they, they told me their advice was, you know, go out and kiss a guy and that'll make you feel sexier and then come back and audition again. And obviously I didn't come back. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, but I, I think through that whole experience, God not only just solidified like, okay, there was almost that thing of like, okay, because somebody's telling me not to do this, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but there was also a part of it that was like, it was through that whole experience that God brought me to the place that I am now. Right. And I know when you left the judges panel, Ryan Seacrest interviewed you, and uh, and then you met someone, and God, God, uh, well, he got you here through that. Share, share with everybody how that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was on camera just outside of the auditioning room, and, and I had said, something along the lines to, to Ryan about how God had been opening the doors up until this point and now he's closed them. So I'm not going to question this. I'm just going to trust that he's got a bigger plan in store. And mm -hmm. even though I said that and like I knew that, <laughs> I still felt that like, oh, yeah. rejected, like just that awful feeling. Yeah. Um, but when I said that on camera, there was a, a family that was nearby and heard what I had said. They'd heard me singing mm -hmm. through the doors. And so they just welcomed me into their home back in Nashville, introduced me to my label, my manager, and my now husband. So, yeah. Wow. God so God closed the door and opened a better door. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. So. so we can always trust him. And, but what, what was interesting to me was you were feeling one thing, but you made the decision to say something to act a different way. Yeah, I think that's the crazy thing about fear is that uh, it's – often presented along with alongside faith hmm. and you've got fear and you've got faith and you got to kind of choose and yeah. you can either go with the fear and go with your gut and go with how you're feeling or you can go with what you know and you can go yeah. with what you believe to be true that's a that's a great point in fact we could just stop and go home because if you get that you've got the sermon uh, <laughs> yeah don't 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 listen always to your impulses yeah. Listen, listen to what God is saying through his scripture as, as the spirit brings it to your mind, which is a great way to live. Now, as we wrap this up, I know uh, you and Joel, your husband, you're on different tours at times. You sing together some, but you're not always together. So that's got to be a challenge being on different schedules. What are some of the things that maybe you're afraid of now? And, and, and the song Braid that you ended with to me is, is a prayer, really. That's yeah. the way I take it. It's just like you're praying. So talk about uh, th those things you fear. Maybe how you wrote Brave and, and then how, how God, how your prayer life makes a difference. Yeah, I very specifically remember when Brave came, came to me. Um, I had gone up to a cabin in Southern California um, for three days just to to write and to come up with songs and to, to ask God what he wanted me to say in this next album. And after three days of silence and like blank notebook paper, I was so frustrated. And, and just hours before we left the cabin, um, I just had this word just thrown across my mind. I could just see it. And it was brave. And it made me uncomfortable. The word challenged me. And so I spent a few hours just in that moment before we left, writing out 
definitions of brave, writing out scriptures that had to do with bravery. There's a lot of scriptures about yeah. bravery and fear. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and since then, I've just been figuring out what that word means in my life and why it makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Why is it that it, it's something that I, I feel convicted about at times? I feel like I'm not always that way. And how can I be stronger? How can I be braver? And I feel like that's it's come down to the simple truth that no matter what I do, and no matter what is done towards me, God will never stop loving me. And there's Amen. an assurance in yeah. that. Yeah. And so our, our courage comes in him and, uh, and, and letting his love actually just overflow in our lives. Thank you so much for sharing with us and being with us today. Would you all say thank you to Mariah? Thank you, guys. And as I said, I want us to talk a little bit about the fear that we often feel as followers of Christ. Uh, and one of my favorite verses is, is 2 Timothy 1.7 where it tells us that God has not given us a spirit of timidity or many translations will say fear or fearfulness. But instead he's given us one of, of power and of love or a sound mind, discipline, self-discipline, self-control, various translations have it. And I want you to think about those words for just a moment. I'm going to relate it to the resurrection. Because God says the Holy Spirit who lives within you does not give you fear. If If you're afraid, it comes from somewhere else. The Holy Spirit within us gives us a boldness. He says, I give you love. I give you power, I give you self-discipline, I give you the right way of thinking so that you don't do that, that future thinking, you know, having those negative conversations in your mind that causes you to, to panic and make bad decisions. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, now listen to this, dwells in you. Every Easter we celebrate the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, he was dead, buried three days, and the Spirit of God, in fact, the Scripture says the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son were involved in raising him from the dead. That same Holy Spirit, that same power of God lives within you if you have Christ living in you. The Holy Spirit in you means you have that kind of dynamite, that that kind of power. And yet, so many times... We're afraid as Christians to live like people who've encountered the resurrected Christ. We live in fear. He says here, I want to give you those three things. Look at them with me for just a moment. He says power. We get our word dynamite from that. It's explosive. The root word duna means to be capable, to be able. And how many times have you said, I'm not able to live the Christian life? I'm not capable of serving Jesus. I'm not able to overcome that addiction. I don't have the ability to change these different things in my life. What what is is what's always going to be. And we we have this self-talk that says it can't change. I'm not capable. I'm I'm not able. And yet God is telling us in this passage that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And that same power, that same dynamite is within you and can change you. And you don't have to remain a a slave of what is or what has been in your life. He says, I'm going to give you love. In the book of Romans, he says that he's poured the love, that God has poured his love in our hearts. And, and, And what he's saying here is that when Jesus comes into your life, the love of God floods you. It fills you and you experience his love for you. You grow in a love for him and he gives you the ability to love others. And, and that is a freeing thing because the truth is, 
When you focus on yourself instead of loving God and loving others, and you don't allow the love of God to to overflow you, when you focus on yourself, that's when you become more afraid. That's when you make more bad decisions. The more self-centered, self-focused, selfish we are in life, the more we become enslaved to our fears and those things that are defeating us. So God is saying to you, The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you and he's not only give you the power to be able, to be capable, to change, to grow, to be transformed. He's going to fill you with his love so that you focus less on yourself, more on him, more on others. And in so doing, you become free and more courageous. And then he said, I'm going to give you discipline, self-discipline, a sound mind. Literally, it's wise thinking. Because as Mariah was saying, we, 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 with this future thinking, this self-talk as psychologists call it, what God wants you to do is to be so filled with his presence and his truth and his word that your thinking is sound. Your thinking is right. Your thinking is biblical because when it is, then you make better decisions. Then you feel differently. But again, when you focus on yourself and all the things that could go wrong in your life or all the things that have happened in the past, all these negative thoughts take over and you become a slave to those things and you become more fearful and less courageous as a follower of Christ. Now, I believe that all of us who know Christ want to live like that verse. I don't think there's anybody here who does not want to be courageous as a Christian. You want the love of God to fill your heart so that you know how to love him and love others and accept his love and forgiveness. That You, you want to think right and, and, and not be bound by bad thinking and unbiblical thinking. That you want power to change. That, that if there's something in your life you've been struggling with, you don't want to always struggle with it. I'm confident that as followers of Christ, we want our lives to be better. We want them to be different. But the truth is, too often, we live like the first part of that verse, in fear. I can't change. It can't be different. It's always going to be this way. And what he says is that's not from God. That's not from the Holy Spirit. He does all this other stuff. That's from within us as human beings. But here's the thing. You and I are not the first followers of Christ to struggle with that. We're not the first disciples of Jesus Christ to be enslaved to negative thoughts and self-talk that sends us down a a path where we, we hide in fear and say, I can't, it's over, I've lost. Think about the very first followers of, of Jesus Christ. In Matthew uh, chapter 20, Jesus in verse 17 pulled the 12 disciples together away from everyone else. And he said to them very, very clearly, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and when we get there, I will be delivered to the chief priests, the scribes. They will condemn me to death. I will, they, they will hand me over to the Gentiles. They will mock me, scourge me, crucify me, and on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. Now, can it get any plainer? That's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be buried, and then after three days, I will rise again. He said it to them very, very clearly. So does it make sense that when they got to Jerusalem and he was arrested and he was crucified and he was buried, they should have seen it coming? They should have known what was going to happen, and they should have known that after the crucifixion, he was going to be raised from the dead. Makes sense they they should get that? And yet they didn't get it. They struggled with it. They go to Jerusalem, they're in the upper room, observe the Passover, he institutes the Lord's Supper, and Jesus looks at those disciples and he says, tonight one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, not me, not me. 
After Judas leaves, he says, tonight all of you are going to fall away. You're going to abandon me. And each of them said, no, not me, not me. Peter said, Lord, I will never deny you. Even if everybody else does, I won't. If they arrest you and put you in prison, I'll go to prison with you. If you're executed, I will die with you. And one of the Gospels tells us that Peter kept insisting on that, that I will never, 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 never deny you. And the Gospels tell us he wasn't the only one, that all of the disciples did that. Well, you know the story. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying just before he's arrested. And he asks the disciples to do what? Pray with me because this is a hard time. What do they do? They go to sleep. Jesus is arrested. And the, the, the Bible tells us that the disciples all fled away. They abandoned Jesus. They left him alone. But there's an interesting verse in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26, verse, verse 58, that says, but Peter, now listen to this. Peter was following him at a distance. John's gospel tells us that Peter was not the only one. There was another one, probably John himself. So get this picture. Judas has betrayed Jesus. Nine of the disciples have run away in fear and they're hiding. And Peter and John are following Jesus and the mob that arrested him, but they're doing it from a distance. They arrive at the place where Jesus is put on trial. They're in the courtyard. From that place, they can see through the opening where Jesus is on trial. They can hear what's being said, but they're still at a Somewhat safe distance, they think. And a slave girl who let them into the courtyard looks at Peter and says, you're not one of his, are you? And, and it's, it's almost in, in the sense of you're not his. And it was an easy no because she wasn't accusing him. She's just saying, you're not one of his, are you? No, you're not. And, and he had an easy out. All he had to do was say, no, I'm not. And that's what he did. And as the hours pass and he stands in that crowd, one of the guys looks at him and says, hey, I think I recognize you. Weren't you with him out there in the garden when we arrested Jesus? And the Bible says that Peter began to, to swear. And it's the idea of like when you go to court and you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Peter was swearing an oath before God, I don't know this man. And three times he denied Jesus and the rooster crowed as Jesus had foretold. And one of the Gospels tells us Jesus looked through that opening into the courtyard and he and Peter, their eyes met. And Peter ran out and cried like a baby. Brothers and sisters, hear me. The most dangerous place any follower of Jesus Christ can be is following Jesus from a distance. And I'm afraid that's where a lot of us are. We, we don't want to deny Jesus. We don't want to run away, disassociate, have nothing to do with him. But we don't want to be so close. We don't want to be in the inner court. We, we don't want to be so close we might get burned. So we're, we're connected and we can say, I'm a follower. I, I, I'm a Christian but I keep it at a distance, a safe distance. So I can hang out with my buds at work and do things maybe I shouldn't do. I can go on those trips and 
behave the way a follower of Christ maybe shouldn't behave. When when you keep yourself at a a distance, close enough to Jesus to see him, to say, I'm connected, but, but not so close you get burned, that's when you're more likely to make decisions that bring pain and suffering into your life. But that's when you're more likely to make decisions that you regret and, and you end up weeping like Peter did after his decision. But that's when you end up making, you're more likely to make decisions that, that, that embarrass you or maybe embarrass those who love you. And so you want to stay close. You don't want to follow Christ from a distance. You're not going to experience the, the resurrection power of Christ that the Apostle Paul said he wanted to experience. Now think about that. Here's this old man who knows he's going to die in just a little while. And, 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 he, and he tells us that he wants to know Christ. He's aging in life, but he wants to know Jesus more than ever. And he wants to know not only Christ, but the power of his resurrection. Because he never wants to reach a point where where there's a distance between him and Jesus. And he's more likely to deny him. He's more likely to be spiritually weak. He's more likely to make those decisions that end up hurting him. And dishonoring Christ. Well, Jesus is crucified and buried we're the disciples during those three days. They're hiding in a room with the doors closed, afraid. So you're not the you're not the first. I'm not the first. And early that Easter morning, some women, Mary Magdalene, that Jesus had healed of demon possession make their way to the tomb at daybreak. Stone's been rolled away. The tomb is empty. They don't see Jesus, but they do see an angel. And the Gospels tell us they they run to that room where not only the 11 disciples, but others who were following Christ were hiding with the doors closed. And they say the tomb is empty, and an angel told us he's risen from the dead. And the Bible says that those in that room, Jesus' followers, thought it was nonsense what they were saying. And Peter and John run to the tomb, and it's empty. And they're confused. They still don't believe he's risen from the dead. They think someone's stolen the body. They don't, they don't get it. They don't know what has happened. And the Bible says the reason they did not understand it was because they did not yet understand what the Scriptures had said about Jesus. And so they leave. Mary Magdalene stays at the tomb. And suddenly Jesus appears. And they speak. And she runs back to that room where the disciples are hiding. And she says, not only is the tomb empty, not only have I seen an angel, but I have seen Jesus. I hugged Jesus and we spoke to one another. And they still didn't believe her. That same afternoon, two followers of Christ, not one of the, not, not one of the original 12 disciples, but two other followers of Christ, are are walking to a village called Emmaus about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And suddenly Jesus appears and has a conversation with them. And he takes the scripture beginning with Moses in the Old Testament and all the way up through the prophets explain to them who he was. 
And that same day, those two disciples turn around and make their way back to Jerusalem, go into the room where the disciples are hiding with the doors closed, and said, Jesus appeared to us. Here's what he said. He is alive. It's not just an empty tomb. He really is alive. And the gospels say those in that room still didn't believe it. They were still so afraid. And suddenly, in the midst of them, Jesus appeared. And the Bible tells us that not only did he appear and they see him and they were able to touch him, but he took the scripture and he explained to them what the scripture said about him. Now that's important, listen. Because after that experience, those men became different men. They stopped hiding in fear. They stopped saying, we don't understand, we don't get it. They stopped following Jesus from a distance. And they became bold in their faith. They became courageous. They became, as Mariah sang a moment ago, brave, fighting like soldiers. Onward, onward, Christian soldiers. Isn't that the hymn we used to sing all the time? That's what they became. And in the book of Acts, these same men who would deny Jesus because they followed him at a distance, who were hiding in that darkened room with the doors closed, suddenly they stand in front of thousands and proclaim Jesus and see thousands become followers of Christ. They're arrested by the Jewish authorities. And listen to this. On one occasion, they are standing in front of the same group, the same court, the same Sanhedrin that had tried Jesus and sentenced him to death. And that same group of Jewish leaders threatened them, tell them not to preach Jesus. And every time they released them, those disciples would go back to the temple, publicly, boldly proclaim Jesus, be arrested again. On one occasion, they were beaten and they were flogged and said, if you preach his name again, worse will happen. And they were released. What did they do? They went right back out to the temple and boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the book of Acts, I love this passage, in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, when they, were, when, when they had gotten out of prison one time, it says, They were praying and they said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Verse 31 says, and when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So here's my question. What changed them from men who were following Jesus at a distance Men who were hiding in fear. To men who could stand in front of any court or any crowd and publicly say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the only way anyone can be saved. What what changed them? And what can change you and me? What can, what can take us from a, from, from, from a place of always hiding, staying on the fringe, sitting in the back, being on the sidelines, close enough to feel connected, but not close enough to really get in the game and close enough to be burned? What can change us? Let me suggest it's the same thing. A relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Knowing that the Holy Spirit really does live within you. Being filled with His Spirit and living in that anointing, living in that power, living in that strength, living in that energy. The Scripture? Jesus took Scripture and He explained it to them. And all of a sudden, it says that their eyes were open to the truth. And you're never going to be bold in your faith 
If, if this is just a book that sits on your coffee table or you pick up on Sunday morning and bring it to church. Because this is God speaking to you. Mary Magdalene stood at that, at that empty tomb and Jesus spoke to her. The disciples to Emmaus had Jesus eat with them and talk with them. When the resurrected Christ appeared in that room with the disciples, he, he explained the scripture to them. Do you understand this is not a book? If, if for you this is just a book, you don't get it. You'll always live in fear. You'll always live as someone who is spiritually weak. This is His Word speaking to your heart as the Holy Spirit enables it to live within your being. And it energizes us. It feeds us. It emboldens us. And if you don't know what God says, all you have remaining are your thoughts. And your thoughts will always make you a slave to the things you don't think you can do and the fears that dominate your life. You'll always tell yourself, I can't live for Christ. I can't serve Jesus. I can't be any different. If the only thing you hear up here are your own words, your own thoughts. His word and prayer. The disciples were praying, God, what? Make us even more bold than we already are. Mariah said a moment ago that... uh, On that retreat in the cabin, she prayed, and God gave her that word, brave. What do you pray about? Is your relationship with Jesus so vital, so vibrant, that you're praying for God to to make you capable of more than you're currently doing? Are you praying for God to make you bold? Or do you just listen to the naysayers in life? Do you just listen to your own negative self-doubt and self-talk? Are you immersing yourself in His Word and praying, God, make me bold for Christ? Here's what I want to encourage some of you to do this morning. Because I believe you want to. I want to encourage you to say, today I'm choosing to no longer follow Jesus Christ from a distance. I'm going to get front and center. I'm going to get so close to Jesus that if I get burned, praise God, I get burned. I'm going to get so close to Jesus, I don't miss his blessings. I don't miss his leading in my life, his guidance in my life. I don't want to stay at a distance. I want you to become the the kind of disciple, the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that it's as though you were actually there that first Easter Sunday morning and, and Jesus appeared to you just like he did Mary Magdalene. I want you to be somebody who says, I will be bold, not in myself because I'm not capable, but the Spirit in me is capable and he gives me his power. I want you to get on your knees before God as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, today I confess And I repent of not getting into your word, of not allowing you to make me bold. I I repent of all the excuses I've made for not following you closely, not obeying you. And, And for some of you, this is going to be the first time in your life you actually commit your life to Jesus Christ. Because you've been saying to yourself for years, someday I'm going to become a Christian. One day I'm going to become a follower of Christ. This is the day. You need to stop saying that. This is the day it needs to happen. So I'm going to ask us to stand and we're going to sing this invitation song. Pastors and counselors are here at the front. And I'm asking you, 
to come and kneel at this altar and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit, to give you boldness, to take you from someone who follows Christ at a distance. Repent of that and commit yourself to, 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 to being as close to Jesus Christ as you can possibly get. I'm asking those of you who've never committed your life to Jesus Christ to come to one of the pastors here and say today, I'm becoming a follower of Christ. I'm committing my life to Jesus and asking him to save me. Others of you to join this church so the team will lead us in singing. You come and make your decision for Christ now. Let's sing together.